So, John, what is the most ridiculous train journey you've ever had? Well, Harry, I've never died on a train, as far as I know. <laughs> but I have vomited on one, and I'm not sure whether that's worse. <laughs> Um, in some ways it is worse. Please do digress. Digress? Uh, do you mean elaborate? Di- if uh, I was digressing, I'd yeah. start talking about something else. Yeah. Sorry, I've been drinking a lot. Okay. Um, this should be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, elaborate. Tell me about vomiting on a train then. I went to Manchester with a friend, uh, a few friends, mm-hmm. had a jolly night out, went back on my own. The rest of my friends stayed in Manchester. I got the last train back from Leeds. And mm-hmm. um, uh, much like you tonight, I had had too much to drink. And um, as the train went on, it became painfully clear that I needed to throw up. And so I ran to the train bathroom and started hurling my guts out quite violently. You know, in that way that it was just, it was just like projectile. There was nothing I could do. Mm. It was just, it was just happening. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. just a passenger, not, like in more ways than one. Um, and as I was projectile <laughs> vomiting, I heard the train pull into and then pull back out of Leeds City Station. Mm-hmm. And it was... Oh, no. <laughs> And I was too, you know, distracted by my vomiting to, there was no way I could, I couldn't just turn it off and get off. So I, yeah, I, had, to, I yeah. had to let the whole thing run its course. Yeah. And it was a late night train. It wasn't stopping at a lot of like small stops on the way. It was literally between Leeds. The next stop was York and that was where it terminated. And it was the last train of the night. <laughs> so I had to then sit uh, in a very cold York station for about four hours while I waited for the first morning train, feeling very sorry for myself, very slowly sobering up. It wasn't fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would have taken... Sounds like a classic John Shenanigan. It was a classic John Shenanigan. If I could have taken the bomb, I probably would have just taken the bomb. <laughs> Quicker, less oh painful. Dear. Welcome everybody to Beyond the Box Set, the podcast where me and John pitch prequels, sequels and spin-offs to films that don't have any. That was different. No. <laughs> you, you ad-libbed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I ad-libbed and then went to the old intro. Let me try that again. Welcome everybody to Beyond the Box Set, the podcast where today we'll be pitching prequels, sequels and spin-offs to Source Code. John, stop grinning at me. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> waiting for me to screw up. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> We'll also be pitching some drinking games and hearing from my listeners with the submissions they've posted on Facebook and Twitter. But first, we'll talk about some of our favourite moments from this movie and give a bit of a plot summary. I am Harry, the host with the most days spent on trains. That is undeniable. You do spend a lot of time on trains. And joining me as always, the crutch of the podcast, that is John Lucas. I mean, you still can't, you can't use that under 25 thing anymore though, can you? Uh, the 616 to 25 rail card? Yeah, Harry's 16 to 25 rail card, which, uh, but now it's that you can't use it anymore, can you? No, that it's is true, but but, lu- but luckily, um, at about the time that I turned 26, you know, when that rail card became invalid, they introduced a 26 to 30 rail card. Oh, God, they did, didn't they? Just in time. And you know what's great? I have the same picture on it. That was going to be so, my follow-up question. Are you still using that picture? I am still using about- that 16-year-old picture of, of me... Sorry, that, that picture of 16-year-old me looking scruffy as hell. <laughs> I think it was the day after my 16th birthday and I was having my first hangover or something like that. 
and uh, yeah, but the 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 beautiful thing about it is, so it's a sixteen, uh, sorry, twenty six to thirty rail card, which I'm allowed to yeah. renew for a year, the day before my thirty first birthday. I'll still be eligible, meaning that it will expire the day before my thirty second birthday. At that point, that picture <laughs> will be of me, of me at the age of sixteen will be exactly sixteen years old. Harry, there's going to come a point where people are just going to stop believing it's you. (laughs) (laughs) It bears almost no resemblance to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so source code. Source code, yeah. Speaking of turning back the clock. (laughs) Oh. Yeah, so this was um, this was a backup choice, actually. Uh, If you listen to last week's episode, we were actually planning to do the film Primer. Hmm. Which neither of us had seen, but which um, we were both excited for until mm-hmm. we watched it. And then you initiated a veto, and then I watched it, and I fully agreed with the veto. So uh, Okay, good, good. Yeah. Now, I really, really do want to talk about it. Yeah. So, do you want to do that as a bonus episode? Yeah, I was going to say, we were, if you were looking forward to our thoughts on Primer, then we will do it as a bonus episode, definitely. We'll put that out on the Great, okay, the we'll do it as a bonus episode. I'll put that out the same day that this Source Code episode comes out. Perfect, yeah. So, yeah. Didn't, by the way, didn't think Primer was a terrible movie by any means. Just would would have been very hard to do on this show for reasons that we'll get into. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay, okay, sure. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll discuss this. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Source Code. Much more. John's backup choice. Yes. Great choice. This was a better choice, definitely. I, I, I have seen this before, only once before. I really enjoy it, and this film is ridiculous. <laughs> you know what? I hadn't seen this before, but I really enjoyed it. I had a good time. Yeah. You know what this film is? This film yeah. is efficient. Yes, <laughs> it is. This film yeah. does its job. It comes in. It's just under ninety minutes. But even mm-hmm. even not just that, there is like there is not an ounce of fat on this film. It just it comes in. It does its thing. It doesn't care about plot holes. You know, it's just like, no, they not exist. at all. It's, not at all. <laughs> it pretty much just acknowledges them and moves on. It's like, you know what? We are here to entertain. Yeah, there's a lot of this film that's really fun and really interesting. And just think about those things. Yeah. And just ignore the other things. <laughs> yeah, just put that on a little, on a little shelf. Yeah. And just, like, know, focus for on example, why was the bomber bombing a train? Oh, who knows? It, like, yeah. it, it's never... <laughs> <laughs> because humanity is rubble or something? Yeah. No, 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 no. Why was he bombing? Like, bombing Chicago? I mean, I don't understand it, but at least I understand the concept of, like, bombing a city. Sure. With a nuclear device. Why was he bombing a train? What was the idea behind, you know what, I'm going to get on this train for a bit, throw my wallet on the train while I get off at a station. I'm then Mm going to blow up that train and then drive the remaining 25 miles to Chicago really slowly. And I will be literally the only person driving into Chicago because everybody else is evacuating the city because there's a bomb threat because I set up a bomb. And nobody will find me and I'll bomb the city and that's a great plan. Yes. Why bomb the train? <laughs> Why bomb the train? Just, just they've got to. There's got to be a pre-bomb before the main bomb. That's I know. I, I mean, I get it because that's 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 where this film is. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Just, just you know, look over there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> question for everyone: Can we see your tax returns? I would like to pass the question. Now, are we talking Canadian or American dollars? How do you plan to engage younger voters? That's a question. Yeah. Yeah. And what's the what's the answer? Look over there. Where? Yeah. That is this film in a nutshell. But yeah, no, this was uh, this was a really good film, a lot of fun. It was directed by Duncan Jones, mm-hmm. who also did Moon. Did you ever see Moon? No, I didn't. I always meant to. Yeah, it's another one I thought 
we should do on this podcast sometime. Mm. I've not seen it either, but I've heard lots of good things about it. I've heard it, so, so many good things, yeah. Yeah, he did Moon, which was apparently really good. He did this, which is obviously pretty good fun. And then he did the Warhammer, Warcraft, one of those things, movies, that was obviously a complete bomb. Oh, that one that that we very clearly avoided in the cinema. Yes. That was yeah. only a couple of years ago. It was, yeah. It was recent, yeah. And it yeah, I, I think that was Warcraft. Yeah. Warcraft, the beginning. That was it, yes. yes. What a great way to start for franchise. Hey, guys, this is a franchise. It is always a mistake to start with <laughs> it's, it's like it's like call it's like releasing a greatest hits and calling it chapter one. There yeah, will be no yeah, chapter yeah. Two. <laughs> the well is dry. Like. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yes, so good, good, a good call then, one we both enjoyed. Yeah, do you want me to go in with a plot summary? Go for it. So, I'm going to get out my notes because this film, despite being short and efficient, it is convoluted. I mean, I think places. that. That's going to be a bit of a theme with this season, is that it's going to be quite difficult yeah. to do the plot summary because it is so repetitive, but there's mm. detail in the repeats. Yeah, you know what? I was really worried that these Groundhog Day movies would all be the same in many mm. ways. It would make our episodes samey. But so far, I mean, we've only done two. <laughs> but also thinking if we had done Primer, like they all do the time loop thing in such distinct little, in mm. their own ways. They're all com- going to be both needlessly complicated and... Probably quite simplistic in their own ways. So, mm, yeah. So, for, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. But, yes. So, as mentioned, Source Code, released in 2011, I believe, uh, directed by Duncan Jones of Moon and being the son of David Bowie fame. And it stars. It stars. Why are you looking at me like that? You're looking at me. I'm just looking at you. It's a okay, video call, John. We can turn the video off if you want. No, 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 no. You, I thought you were giving me a funny facial expression, but you were. Okay. You just drunk. I didn't. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so yes, source code. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal as a man called. <laughs> well, it doesn't spend a lot of time on you know getting to know him particularly. <laughs> no, I wrote down his name because it did make me laugh. Jake Gyllenhaal's character is called Colter Stevens, which is just the most stupid. We're just going to toss off a name. Like, no, wow, sorry Colter to anybody St- named Colter Stevens who happens to be listening. How many Colters do you know? There was Miss Colter in um, the Northern Lights. Yes, that's a surname. Yeah. This is his first name. It, 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 that's, it's, it's a surname expressed as a first name. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. so Jake Gyllenhaal stars in this film, and there's no there's no real character set up for anyone in this film. The film opens with him waking up on a train. Mm. Um which I didn't really think Americans use trains anymore, but apparently sometimes they do. I guess, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, not for public transport. I don't think it's nearly as embedded as it is here. Because mm. it's such a big country. I don't mm. think they really use trains very much. Yeah. But maybe... They use subways, obviously. But I don't think... I mean, American listeners, let me know other way. I don't get the impression that using the trains to go from like state to state is very popular. They're not really in films. No. We're, maybe it's just not filmic. Because mm. like, we go from, you know... We jump from city to city on trains all the time, but we're a small country, so... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. Uh, see, that's <laughs> how you digress. <laughs> all right, fine. Uh, yes, so, Jake Gyllenhaal wakes up on this train, and he's sitting across from a, a, a pretty lady, played by Michelle Monaghan. Um, Discount Liv Tyler. To... Discount Liv Tyler. Oh, I like Michelle Monaghan. She's all right. She's got an interesting face, I think. Yeah, sure, she's fine. I think it's her eyebrows. I think she has really interesting eyebrows. Well, I think I only know her from this, and she's really annoying in this. 
because she's she was also in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oh, was she? Okay. Yes. But in this, she's just in the way. Mm. Pretty much the whole film, she's just in the way. She's like, oh no, like oh, I forget what the guy's name is. Not Colter Stevens. Oh, I wrote that one down too. We'll get to it, but it's fine. Carry but on. yeah, it's like, oh, what are, you, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? That's weird of you. Why are you doing that sort of thing? Why are you beating up? Don't beat up that guy. No, what are you doing? That's that's her her role in this. Yeah, no, she she's yeah, she doesn't have a particularly rewarding role in this. I'm just saying in general, I don't dislike her. Okay, she's fine. Uh, you, she's also in the Mission Impossible movies, isn't she? Is she not Tom Cruise's wife? Is she? I believe so. Yeah, she is. Stuff? She, you're right. She is. Yeah, she doesn't have much to do in there either. <laughs> no, 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 no. She, I mean, she does get stuck playing the girlfriend a lot, mm. but I, I don't know. She's better than most actresses who end up getting stuck playing the girlfriend. You know, there's a lot of actresses who fall into that category. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he wakes up across from her, and she evidently knows him, but he does not recognize her at all. Mm. And like, she's talking to him as if they're in the middle of a conversation. Mm-hmm. He's very confused, and he says he doesn't know her, and he doesn't know where he is, and he kind of staggers to the bathroom, looks into the mirror sees a strange man's face looking back. Yeah. And that's all, like, in the first three minutes. This film really just, like, booms. Oh, it's, it gets you right in there. It's great. Yeah, which I really enjoyed. It didn't waste any time. No. Like, in comparison, I mean, that's not what this podcast is, but Groundhog Day really took its time to get there. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, that had set up. You know, mm. Whereas this one just drops you in the middle of it. So he goes to the bathroom, and he looks in the mirror and sees a strange face, and then moments later, the train explodes. Mm-hmm. Boom. What an intro. He's dead. And then he wakes up, or is he? Because then he wakes up in some kind of containment unit kind of thing, or mm-hmm. some kind of... Well, it's, like a pod? It's intentionally vague. Yeah, it's like yeah. a pod or yeah, something. I mean, it's supposed to be from his imagination. I think it's supposed to be like a glorified cockpit or something, like something yeah. that he's really familiar with. The yeah, sort of sure. environment that he's familiar with being in. Yeah, but anyway, he's in that. Uh, he's on his own. Yeah, and he can't get out. He's like, is he strapped down or something? There's there's reasons he can't like escape. Yeah, I'm not too sure. But in this kind of darkened containment unit, there is a screen, a TV screen, on the other side of which is Vera Farmiga, mm-hmm. who is playing a army officer of some description. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's let again. It's left intentionally vague at this point, but she kind of tells him to follow some vocal exercises, which will help him to remember her. Mm, yeah. uh, he doesn't recognize her either, but then they kind of do a little routine. And then suddenly he does have some vague memories of her name, but he doesn't quite know how he knows her. And anyway, she explains. I didn't really get this because he, he tries to remember her and he doesn't quite remember her the first time. Mm-hmm. And then the second time, it's like he just knows her only from the first time. And then, and, and, and then from then on, he just doesn't like forget anything at all. It's just like, you know, as though they've I, been having a conversation. Like, it's just normal from then. And it's not like he's known her for years at all. It's like he's known her since the start of the film, completely. And he, he doesn't forget anything. Harry, look over there. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah, it, I think essentially they kind of put that in there and then they kind of phase it out because it would have taken too much time. Yeah. yeah this film's got a time limit to meet, you know. It's on a deadline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, they do this little exercise and then he recognises her name, but not much else. Anyway, she's Mrs. Exposition and she explains that he needs to go back because there's a bomb on that train and he needs to find the bomber. And that's kind of all she tells him at this point. He has to go back and find out who bombed the train. I love how vague she is just for the sake of being able to tell a story over 90 minutes. Yes. Like, it's there's no other reason other than that. Mm -hmm. That she like, doesn't tell him everything ex- all at once. 
No, no, I think he literally says, can you please explain this to me? And she just goes, there's no time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we find out from this conversation though, that he is some kind of army person. Mm. And he's kind of lost his memory at some point. He, the last thing he remembers, he was flying a some kind of mission, some kind of helicopter mission. And now he's woken up in this strange situation, in this strange train he doesn't recognise, in this strange body that's mm-hmm. not his. And now this woman's telling him you need to go back and find the bomber. So he just assumes he's in some kind of simulation at this point, some kind mm-hmm. of military run through. So he goes back again. It's, he's back on the train again, having the exact same conversation. This is where we enter the Groundhog Day scenario. Mm-hmm. The exact same situation is playing out. He's sat opposite Michelle Monaghan. They have the same conversation. And he has eight minutes until the train goes. Yeah. So on this second time around, he finds the bomb pretty easily. It's just in a little compartment with the toilets. <laughs> uh, but he doesn't know how to defuse it. Uh, and then he accuses some some very stereotypical 80s-looking douchebag of being the person <laughs> responsible. Guy doing a deal on his laptop, that guy. Guy doing a deal on his laptop while wearing, like, shades with slick black hair. Mm-hmm. It was just like... All the stereotypes. Punches him in the jaw, the train blows up, and once again, he is back in the little cell. Mm. So this happens a few times, and each time Vera Farmiga explains a little bit more. Uh, She kind of explains that it's not a simulation, this is actually a real thing. The train actually did blow up earlier this morning, and it killed a bunch of people. Everyone on board, I guess. And he has taken on the identity of one of the passengers who was killed... Uh, and he needs to find the identity of the bomber before a second attack can take place in real life. Yeah. So there's a definite time limit happening here. Why do they think there's going to be a second attack? Maybe the first attack was like a publicity stunt. Maybe the guy's like, there'll be another in an hour or something. You know, like sometimes terrorists do that, especially in movies. They'll be like, this was just a taste. The real deal's happening in an hour. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. But like normally when that happens, they demand something. Mm-hmm. Normally it's like, hey, I don't know, give me two million dollars. Or well, this guy I'll... just wants to watch the world burn. He doesn't have any agenda. Yeah, but if he just wants to watch the world burn, why give a little teaser explosion first? Look over there. Oh, sorry. It's like for movies, it's a movie <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's purely he's a movie villain. He needs to be, you know, doing these things just, mm. just yeah. otherwise the film doesn't roll along as easily. But. Yeah, so they kind of explain... I mean, they don't explain the science of this. So there's Vera Farmiga... <laughs> they do not. No, they really do not. And then there's also Jeffrey Wright, probably best known from Westworld and various other things. At this point, yeah. Yeah. He's in James um, Bond. Oh, is he? Okay. He plays the American guy. Of course he does. Um, <laughs> what nationality do you think he was playing in this? I have no idea. I have never heard anybody with a more ridiculous voice... Know, he was really doing a bit in this, wasn't it was he? Like, so strange. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like he was trying to do his Westworld character, but like ramped up to 11. No, yeah, ramped it, up to like 50 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was doing. He was definitely doing a bit with his voice. It was like he was talking very much like this. Like everything was over-pronounced. Mm. Everything was very over-pronounced. And I think that the film thought it was very smart with itself by giving him a crutch, but never telling us why sure yeah but it was a boring detail didn't really make any no it never played into anything it was just like maybe that was another jeffrey wright choice maybe he was just like you know what i'm not gonna be a generic villain i'm gonna make some decisions and make this character more interesting so Mm. i'm gonna do a crazy voice and i'm gonna be on crutches and you know what why not yeah who cares yeah it was entertaining but yeah they kind of explain a little bit of it where so the train blew up in real life Mm -hmm. and 
the people were all killed. But they've got this technology now which allows them to put somebody else into the brain of one of the people who died. Mm-hmm. And then they will relive the last eight minutes of that guy's life. Yeah. So the last eight minutes before the train blew up, because the brain has some kind of special superpower where it's, even after it dies, it's like a chicken having its head cut off, I guess, where like even yeah. after it dies, it retains eight minutes worth of information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's all scientifically accurate. I can, get, I can confirm. Great, cool, good. I'm glad I have you on board for this. Mm-hmm. So how, do, I didn't understand, how did they put... Jake Gyllenhaal into this guy's brain if this guy got blown up? Like, how did they retrieve his brain? He got blown up. He was on a train that exploded. There should have been, like, very little left of him. Well, maybe there was just enough of him. Maybe they okay. may, maybe they found his head or something. Okay. Like, so it's existing in this kind of psychic space. The action we're seeing in the movie. Mm. It's like a simulation of what this guy remembers, and but Jake Gyllenhaal is able to go in into this guy's brain and manipulate events. Yeah. So he can actually, you know, do things that the, the original guy didn't do. Yeah. And this is where it gets into the, the fiction of the science fiction. You know, sure, everything really that came apart. beforehand was, of course, science fact. Yes. Whereas now, yeah, when he's in somebody else's memory, it's not just exploring that memory, it's exploring the world that that memory happened in. Yeah, it, it clearly goes well outside that guy's, you know, field of vision while yeah. he's on that train. <laughs> Yeah, but like, you know, by the time you get to the end of this movie, you realise that it's more than just going into somebody's memory. This is true, yes. We'll get to that. Yeah. But, yeah, so he tries a few different things. But one thing he does try very early on is he tries just getting off the train with Michelle Monaghan. Yeah. Leaving the train to blow up, but saving Mm -hmm. himself and her. But then as soon as that happens, um, he falls in front of another train Mm -hmm. and dies anyway. And it's, it's a, and then Vera Farmiga explains, look, you can't get out of this. You are always going to die mm. at the end of this eight minutes. There's no, you, you can't just like step out. Mm. You know, all you can do is live this eight minutes. So please, can you just try and figure out who the bomber is, which so we can use it to stop the second attack? Which wasn't true because it's not like if he doesn't die in the explosion, he's going to die anyway. Like at that mm. same exact moment, because the explosion happened, and then as a separate event. He fell onto a train track and got run over by a different train. Yeah. So, like, in that reality, he died at a different time to when the original guy died. Mm-hmm. Sure. I don't know we- why he didn't just try to walk away and not get into a fight with a guy on a train track. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, which also means, I mean, I'm jumping ahead now, but, um, you know, at the end of this movie where he lives, and he lives past the eight minutes... Does that mean that when he eventually dies in, the, in that reality, you know, of old age or something... Sure. He's just going to go back to that eight minutes on the train. Good question. <laughs> just keep living his life again, well, somebody else's life again and again and again. It's very possible, yeah. At 7.48 this morning, Central Standard Time, a bomb exploded on a commuter train outside of Chicago, killing everyone on board. And that's the train that you've been on. No, no, I'm right here. You're talking to me right now. A man named Sean Fentress was on that train. He, for all intents and purposes, is now you. Every second spent explaining things puts more innocent civilians at risk. This makes no sense. The train explosion was the first attack of a series. There are going to be more. Now, did you find the bomb? So, yeah, he keeps going through it a few few more times, trying to figure out who it was who 
bomb the train. In the process, we get more interactions with him and Vera Farmiga as well. We find out that he, Jake Gyllenhaal, before he went into this new guy's head, was an army soldier in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And he was killed in action. And he's currently on life support. So he's actually dead and he's hooked up to a life support machine for the purposes of this experiment. Mm-hmm. And he obviously isn't particularly happy to learn that he's dead. But the movie doesn't dwell on it too much. So he asks Vera Farmiga to let him die properly when he finds the bomber. He's like, I don't want to be strapped into this forever. This is, you know, mm-hmm. if I've died, let me die. So she agrees to let him die when he finds out who bombed the train. Yeah. 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 Which Jeffrey Wright doesn't want that to happen. He's Vera Farmiga's superior. And he doesn't want that to happen because he wants this. This is like a scientific breakthrough, this thing about going into dead people's brains mm. to prevent terrorist attacks. So he wants to use him again and again and again. Mm-hmm. So he does go back onto the train and he does actually manage to figure out who the bomber is. Mm-hmm. Turns out it is generic white guy, crazy person, terrorist. <laughs> with with the upset, upset straight white guy. Upset straight white guy. Not happy with, with the way his, the world works for him. With his completely standard issue reason for wanting to blow up the train, which is, yeah, I, I, I just want the world to burn or something. Yeah. Like, It's really not explored. He's not really an important character. No. So he finds out that it's him. He passes that information on to Vera Farmiga, meaning that in the real world, they can track that guy down and arrest him mm-hmm. before he can do the second explosion. So mm-hmm. mission accomplished, essentially. Yeah. But before he is decommissioned, he asks Vera Farmiga to send him back one more time because he wants to actually see if he can save everyone on the train. Mm. And she says, that's pointless. You can't save them. They're already dead. Mm. And he says, I know. Yeah. But just... And it's quite a sweet little... I liked this. This was like oh, a sweet yeah, little yeah, really good. thing. It was like, okay, I know they're already dead in real life, but before I go, I want to at least play out a simulation where they are saved. Mm. It's like he wants to, you know, indulge the fantasy. Because he's obviously developed feelings for Michelle Monaghan, and you mm-hmm. know, there's also lots of other people on the train who are innocent. So he goes back again, and he, because he now knows who the bomber is, he manages to stop the bomber before the first bomb goes off, defuse the bomb, save everyone... He calls his dad because there's a whole plot line about him wanting to get in touch with his dad and how mm. they've had how the, and how their last conversation was an argument and so he phones up in the guise of this other guy and and tells him that he was sorry and he didn't mean to argue with him and you know mm. has this lovely cathartic moment mm-hmm. manages to make everyone else happy on the train. He uh, he he does a little bet with the comedian like I bet you all the money in my wallet that you can't make these people laugh. Yeah. And he's now, like I will take that bet. Now. As another person who spends a lot of time on trains, maybe mm. I don't know, it's just me. Can you think of anything worse or more annoying than being on a train and some hacky comedian getting up and started doing a bit in the middle of the aisles? No, not at all, John. I can think that that would be amazing, genuinely, because I love to see mm, pun incoming. I love a train wreck. Oh, okay. So you would you you would enjoy the cringe factor of mm. a comedian doing a set on a train? Yeah. Okay. Come on, tell tell me you're not the same. Anything happens on a train, you know, on public transport, and you're just you're there, mm. you've got your headphones on, something starts happening. You immediately pause your music, you leave your headphones on so you're innocent, you're mm-hmm. you know, you're 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 not listening as far as I know. And you listen in, you get some free entertainment. It's like watching a soap yeah. opera but in real life. And if it's sure. just somebody has got up and started doing this comedy bit like what on earth is going on here? It'd be the most entertaining thing I've seen all day. Maybe, but the, but the people on the I, train... I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, great, I've got Michael McIntyre here just telling me some jokes. This is fun. I'd be like, what on earth is happening? This is fantastic. So weird. Okay, I, 
I think I would probably be intrigued for a moment and then I would get off at the next stop no matter whether I'd arrived at my destination or not. <laughs> like, no, no thank you. You'd, but these you'd, seem... you'd, you'd pull a bomb out your briefcase and... Yeah, yeah, exactly, yes. This this could be his motivation. Maybe he just hates hacky stand-ups. Um, but, yeah, it but basically it reaches the eight-minute maximum time. Mm. And the eight minutes hits with everyone laughing at the comedian. Jake Gyllenhaal kisses Michelle Monaghan. You know, it's mm-hmm. a lovely lovely little moment, and then it fades out. He's 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 created the perfect timeline with this eight-minute thing. Yeah. And that's where this movie should have ended. <laughs> See, that's where credit now, should have rolled. I've put this in in multiple videos online as well. That like, that would be the perfect moment for this film to end. But yeah. because I'm coming at this from a how do I make a sequel out of this, mm-hmm. I'm so glad that this this film went further. And to be honest, I find it really interesting. I really like the ending of this, the full ending. Okay. See, I didn't, but I agree with you that it's better for our purposes. Mm. But I did think it was a very like, oh, wait, what if there's a sequel? We can't just make everyone be dead, so let's just crowbar in a Hollywood ending. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought it would have been such a lovely, like, interesting sci-fi film if it had just ended right there. Like, it would have been like Sunshine, you know, a film that mm. was unafraid mm, to just yeah. kill its cast. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, Spoilers I was disappointed by the last... What? <laughs> Spoilers for Sunshine. Sorry, spoilers for Sunshine, it doesn't end well for anyone, but uh, <laughs> apart from humanity, I guess, since they do save the day. All right, but, calm down, I've ruined the whole movie. Okay, I've ruined the whole thing now, sorry. But um, yeah, No, making, no, I, I, I do agree, that would, be, that, w- that would have been a very, very good ending, whereas instead mm-hmm. what they did, um, well, you, you can explain what they did, but like, they, they take it to a whole new level. Yeah, so he's supposed to die, but... Vera Farmiga takes pity on him and no sorry he's not supposed to die he's supposed to live mm. but Vera Farmiga takes pity on him and does in fact end his life support but then by some mystical magic even though the eight minutes runs out he goes on yeah since he survived this time and he's stopped the, the bomber and it turns out that I mean you might have to help me with this in terms of what how exactly they justify this but is it that well instead of what they've done they thought that they were putting him into the last eight minutes of that guy's memory. Yes. But actually what they were doing was they were putting him into a new reality based on mm-hmm. that guy's memory. Yes, it triggered an alternate, and an alternate the, and, reality. And that reality wouldn't thought. necessarily finish after eight minutes, but would in fact finish when he dies. Hence yes. why earlier, when he died, getting run over by a train when the memory would have died a few seconds earlier when a different train got blew up, got blown up. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the little hint that, like, that's what's going to happen at the end. Okay. So, yeah, it's an, it's created an alternate reality which, where he can now continue to live his life mm. in another guy's body with Michelle Monaghan. Mm-hmm. And everyone has survived the train crash. Uh, and so he also manages to send a text to Vera Farmiga mm-hmm. in her reality. Or, no, in, in this alternate reality that's been created. Yeah saying help me or help Jake Gyllenhaal as in the body that's in the life support machine or something. Mm, yeah, yeah. Like help the cult of Stevens that you've got, like do whatever you need to do there. But basically mm-hmm. this technology works better than, like you don't know that it works. It actually works better than you thought. Yes. Like I'm, so, I'm, I'm from one reality above yours. Mm-hmm. Yes. But, and yes, and that's kind of where the film ends. It kind of sets up this kind of premise of this alternate reality creating thing. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it's a happy ending. And Jake Gyllenhaal and Michelle Monaghan walk into the sunset together. Mm-hmm. And that's the end. Yeah. No, it's, it's really good. 
It was it was a good, solid, efficient film, definitely. Mm. I do wish that it, it hadn't chickened out with the last five minutes, but these things happen. Yeah, yeah. Do you think they wanted it to get a sequel? Apparently one was commissioned, but it just never happened. Mm. Like, because this film came out like nine years ago, so I don't think it's going to happen now. Mm. But it was like financially successful. Yeah. And they did announce one, but then it just never materialised. So I guess it just stuck, got stuck in production hell. Okay, but but yeah, the time has passed. Definitely. I can't imagine anyone really being hungry for it now. No, no. If you're reading this email, then source code works even better than you and Dr. Rutledge imagined. You thought you were creating eight minutes of a past event, but you're not. You've created a whole new world. Goodwin, if I'm right, somewhere at the source code facility, you have a Captain Coulter Stevens waiting to send on a mission. Promise me you'll help him. And when you do, do me a favor. Tell him everything is going to be okay. Do you want to do drinking games? Yes, let's. Okay, so obviously, as we will do every episode this season, drink every time it repeats. Indeed, yeah. So do you think, based on the fact that it's creating alternate realities, is every time the timeline repeats creating another alternate reality? I'd say so, yeah. But they're all stopping when he dies. Like, he's the one sustaining the universe. Or is that carrying on? You can never know, John. (laughs) No, that is true. There's no way of knowing. There isn't. Especially given it's fiction. (laughs) <laughs> indeed indeed yeah it, it doesn't matter uh but yes drink every time he goes back into the eight minute cycle so mm-hmm. yeah yes very good uh here's a good one for me drink every time and in sorry I, I don't know why i said that <laughs> here is a drinking game here is a drinking game drink every time an innocent person takes a beating from jake oh that's the next one i got as well drink whenever he assaults or is rude to somebody yeah, it was really interesting watching this, not to get too political, watching this film now in this moment that we're having where like there's a lot of scrutiny on police violence. Because mm-hmm. he really is like, fist, he goes in fists first. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's an army guy, not a police officer, but still, like he just straight up punches anyone he's vaguely suspects of being the terrorist. Yeah, like, but I guess he, that the- he is going, going with it under the guise that there are no consequences. True. Like, if he's wrong, everybody's going to die in eight minutes, and then he just gets another chance, and he knows it's not that guy. That's that's very fair. It's not like he's going to traumatise that guy for the rest of his life or anything. No, that's true. He's going to die anyway. But, yeah. yeah. A lot of characters get... There's the 80s douchebaggy kind of guy. Mm. There's the guy who gets off the train who accidentally throws him under the wheels of the other train, Mm -hmm. and Mm. I'm sure there's more. And there's the actual... There's the actual terrorist, although he's not innocent, so... Yeah. yeah, lots of Jake Gyllenhaal quick with his fists in this movie. Drink whenever he ignores discount Liv Tyler. Oh yeah, sure, he just walks away from her. Yeah. They're in the middle of a conversation. Yeah, I like that. Or just like, like could you go and get us some coffees and take like eight minutes, please? Just- yeah. <laughs> You're not needed for this part. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, not the most rewarding role for her. No. Cool. <laughs> no. But yeah. Uh, we've kind of touched on it already, but drink every time Jeffrey Wright pronounces a word strangely. Oh, yeah, yeah. With his strange over-pronunciations. Not a lot of that. This is a two-hander. Drink for exposition, and then drink again when that, when that exposition is dodged. <laughs> they do a lot of, like, we'll give you a bit of exposition, and then look over there. <laughs> nice. Like, my favourite bit is genuinely an exchange of dialogue that, in the film early on, I think Jake Gyllenhaal says something along the lines of, just, can you please explain what's going on? 
And then Vera Farmiga just replies, every second spent explaining things just puts more innocent civilians at risk. (laughs) (laughs) There's no time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Captain, I cannot imagine what you must be feeling right now. But if we're to prevent a second attack, we need to send you back immediately. And, Captain, you cannot deviate from the mission while inside the source code, even to investigate your... even to investigate what happened to you. There's only one continuum on this end, and it cannot be unsettled. Well, you know what? I did unsettle it. I called you from the train. Just before the explosion, so 7.46 this morning, they paged you with a call You may have made that call from the train, but I would never receive it here. It's a different reality, Captain. If the call even went through, it would be received by a different me entirely. This may be difficult for you to hear, but you are a hand on a clock. Understand? We set you, you move forward. We reset you, you move again. And that represents the entirety of your function here. You know what? Next time I'll send you a pizza. I'll see if that makes an impression. Yeah, sure. Okay, so do you want to move on then? Uh, yes, sure. Excellent. Right, so, listeners, you may know already, you may have already done some with me, but um, every Friday at 8pm British time, I do a quiz live on YouTube. This last week, we just did Lord of the Rings. Um, that went down really well. And this coming week, we are doing The Simpsons. The Simpsons. So, John's going to put a little link in the episode notes. Um, but yeah, there'll be a live quiz on YouTube, 8pm British time, on The Simpsons. It's about an hour long, maybe an hour and a quarter or something. It's not too long. Um, it'll, be, it'll be about the golden years of The Simpsons. Yeah, seasons 1 to 10 only, I believe, and the movie. 1 to 10 in the movie. Yeah. that's, that's I don't think we go much beyond that. That, that, that. that sort of thing. Like, the classics. Um yeah. Yeah, join in if you want to, or not. I don't mind. Whatever. Sure. I mean, you'd prefer if we did. I prefer if you did, and I prefer I mean, it if you if you shared it with your friends and you all came along and did it. Play as a team. You'll do way better yeah. if you play as a team. I mean, there's no prize. The prize is just yeah. like knowing that you won. But mm-hmm. yeah. even if you're not like in the same household, you could zoom. I know we're social distancing right now, but you can still like be a zoom team or something. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No reason why not. Yeah. Um, excellent. So that's that link in the show notes also um, if you've enjoyed this episode and you enjoy other episodes that me and John do then you can say thank you to us by supporting us for as much or as little as you think we're worth on patreon.com slash beyond the box set if you do you get a few bonus features such as a bonus show where obviously today we're talking about primer you know that's the episode that we were going to do and uh, vetoed and in favour of um, source code but uh, mm-hmm. yeah primer's there also, if you become a Patreon, you get extended versions of the main show. You get a little 30-second advert slot on the main show as well. You get to choose an episode every now and then. You get a Facebook group. There's all sorts going on. It's pretty good. All that, patreon.com slash set. Indeed. Bonjour tout le monde. I'm Finn, and every Tuesday I host a podcast called Passport People, in which I talk to people from around the world about the places that matter to them. What is so special about each location? What makes each place tick? Where are they headed? To join us on our round the world trip, talking to a diverse range of fascinating people from an incredible variety of professional and cultural backgrounds, search for Passport People in Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Right, Harry, hit me with a sequel. So this one starts off in the original reality as a, as, as a straight sequel. Okay, so the original reality where the bomb did go off and the train, everyone on the train did die. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And uh, if you remember that uh, Goodwin uh, let 
Call to Stevens die. Um, yes, Mark, Ruth Farmiga let uh, Jake Gyllenhaal die. Yeah. yeah, you know what, let's just use that as names. Ruth Farmiga let Jake Gyllenhaal die, much to Jeffrey Wright's disdain. He did not yes. like it. Did I use the word disdain correctly? Yes, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, great. But yeah, so because she really disagreed with his decision to try and keep Jake Gyllenhaal alive, even though he failed, she mm-hmm. decides to go public with the truth about Source Code. Oh, she she exposes him for this whole Mm -hmm. um, thing that they're doing. Okay. She admits that though Jeffrey Wright means well and his his machine did technically save the lives of thousands, if not millions, of Chicagans, Mm. there was a cost to Coulter Stevens, Captain Coulter Stevens. And Mm. uh, Jeffrey Wright didn't want to let him die and instead went to keep using his body despite the explicit unwillingness of Coulter Stevens, of Treaty General Hall. And Mm -hmm. no consent from his next of kin. This sparks a huge media debate as to whether Jeffrey Wright was Jeffrey Wright or was he Jeffrey Wrong. Oh my god. (laughs) Is that... Did your idea start with that? Uh, that Mostly, yes. yes. Um, But that's not what this film is about, though. It's not about Jeffrey Wrong. Okay. It's about Big Daddy Cop. Oh, we're bringing Big Daddy back, great. Who hear about this technology the military have developed, and of course they want it for themselves. Okay, Big Daddy Court being Harry's, uh, the villainous, shady, shadowy operation that Harry introduces into a lot of his sequels. Yeah. Just in case there's some first-timers, you know. You know, it's the it's the Wayland Yutani of the, of the Beyond yes, the Box exactly. world. Yes. And so here we get the title, Enter the Source Code. Enter the Source Code, I like it, okay. So, in the middle of a night shift, when... Jeffrey Wright has gone home. Goodwin, uh, she smuggles in a SWAT team into the building. Okay. From Big Daddy Corp. Big Daddy Corp SWAT team. Oh, so she's sold out the company as well as exposing them. Yeah, she's fully like, this is this is wrong. This is not moral what we're doing. Oh, so but I thought Big Daddy would want to use the technology. Oh, yeah. I've, I've messed so up why would she there. help them with that? Uh, maybe, maybe they've said that, that, that they're helping her on her side or like that. Are they posing as the military to shut down the place, but they're actually Big Daddy? No, I don't know. I, I, I need them to be on the same side. Okay. Do they bribe her? Maybe they're saying that, like, we've got the technology to bring Colter Stevens back. Like, we can put him oh, okay. in a new body. Oh, so it would right the original wrong, and then her guilt would yeah, be Yeah, basically. So, like, he doesn't die at all. Okay. As, appo- yeah, as opposed works. to he wants to die and he does die. It's like he doesn't die at all and he gets a body and he's fine and everything. Maybe okay. that's a lie. Who knows? Sure. Yeah. Probably is. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, Goodwin let, lets in a SWAT team from Big Daddy Corp. And they quickly storm the building and radio in. Building secure. And then they go and find Goodwin, who is just by the pod, which contains Colter Stevens. Um, and the lead guy takes his mask off. It's Gerald Butler. Of course. Has he been in a Big Daddy thing before? I don't think so, no. Okay. We've had Denzel Washington as the... Mm. He runs the whole thing. Yeah. So is Gerard Butler just like a, a foot soldier of the Big Daddy Corps? Yeah, yeah. Like a really good okay. one, but yeah. Sure, yeah, he's Gerard Butler, you know. What accent is he giving us? My accent. Your accent, okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, you are so alike. We don't have much time, she says. His neural pathways are degrading fast. You need to go into that chamber there. She points at a chamber. And I'll, I'll, I'll wire you in. You'll be in a repeating eight-minute time frame from the last moments of his consciousness. And for the source code to work again, you need him alive. Or else all of this is for nothing. 
Yes, ma'am. I'll get him out of there. Oh, and I forgot to mention, because you'll only exist in his consciousness, if he dies, you die. Ooh, it's gone a bit Inception. Well, we'll just have to keep him kicking then. Roll count on you, Jerry. I won't let you down, ma'am. Oh dear, I sense some dialogue creeping in. Suddenly, Jerry is in Chicago. Jerry is in Gerard Butler, you're just going to refer to him as Jerry now? Yes. Okay, sure. Is that, is that okay? It's fine, I just need to make sure I'm keeping track of the characters. Um, he is by the mirrored bean thing. The mirrored what thing? The mirrored bean thing. What's a mirrored bean? Is that like a statue in... The thing at the end. Oh, okay. Is that like a legit Chicago landmark? I don't yeah, know it is. It's called Cloud Gate. I don't... Okay. I'm not really sure why, but like it looks like a bean and it's mirrored. Okay. But you know what I mean though, right? I know what you mean now. Okay, sure. Cool. Great. Uh, yeah, and so he's looking around for Coulter Stevens, um, or Discount Liv Tyler as well. But as a major tourist spot, there's there's a lot of people there. And so, so is this? Sorry, is this? Has he entered this reality before the train? After the train? After the train. This is like he's entered the reality pretty much at the time that the film finishes for Jake Gyllenhaal initially. Okay, so he's walked off into this. There was no train explosion. He's walked off into the sunset with Michelle Monaghan. Yeah, and and they're okay. there just looking at this landmark as, sure. as, okay. as how the, the the original film finishes. Okay, but yeah, it's a major tourist spot, and Jerry can't find them. There's loads of people. Mm-hmm. He looks at his watch, and he's at seven minutes thirty. He's like, "Oh God, I'm running out of time here." Shortly after, the mirror bean explodes. Oh gosh! And there is a nuclear explosion that wipes out Chicago. You do love a landmark explosion, don't you? Yes, yeah. yes, of course yeah, I do. Okay. <laughs> Jerry wakes up in a capsule, and on his screen is Goodwin. In the background, he can see his own body in the part he got into, and he explains everything that just happened to him. She tells him that he's going to have to go back in and find Colt Stevens while also looking for the bomber. Oh, so now he's been put in the same position. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. But he's also got to find Colt Stevens at the same time. She says... It would be in Cold Stevens' nature to also be finding the bomber. So, you find the bomber, you'll probably find Cold Stevens. Okay. So he goes back in again, and this time looks around for someone who could be carrying or detonating some kind of bomb. So now he's on the train. No, no, he, he, the train's not a part of this. Oh, I'm sorry, this is the bomb that blew up the bean? Yeah. Okay, okay, sorry, I got confused. Okay. Yeah, and that, that's where I've got to so far. I'd like to improvise okay, impri- impri- it from I here. See. So, are you thinking it's the same bomber, or is it coincidentally there were two bombers in Chicago on that same day? I would like to say that it, they're definitely connected. Like, maybe it was a backup okay. bomber or something like that. Sure. He had a partner in crime that he didn't talk about. Exactly. That sort yeah, of thing. Like, yeah, maybe this is a whole cult, this whole, you know, nihilistic, the world needs to burn down mm. kind of thing. So, yeah, there's the, the guy from the first film who Jake Gyllenhaal successfully apprehended, mm-hmm. who was on the train, and... Now there's this other guy who was going to blow up this monument at the same time. That was going to be part of the whole thing. Yeah. And so his his plan is unabated. So now he needs to be stopped in order to save both of their lives. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm guessing Gerard Butler, or Jerry, as you've decided to call him, <laughs> um, has to go through this a few times. Like, he's, he's going to fail a few times and die, right? Yeah, you know, definitely. Like, he's going to, like, find out, like where the bomb's coming from or something. Maybe he's going to have some suspicions as to who the bomber is. He'll repeat some of those plots, and eventually he will find the bomber. I'd say, like, fairly quickly he finds the bomber. Sure. Now, does Jake Gyllenhaal in this film, is he aware, after the initial explosion, and then it's brought back again, mm. is he aware that he's looping again? 
Or is he... Because you know how everyone else in the film doesn't realise they're in a loop? Mm. Does he know? Um, I would say that, no, he doesn't know. Okay. But when Gerald Butler finally does meet him, like, maybe he just... They they know that he is on that city square, so, like, he does eventually bump into him after yeah. maybe finding the bomber or something. Sure. And then Gerald Butler explains everything, just like, you're Captain Colter Stevens. This is the situation. I'm repeating this eight-minute loop. There's a bomb going to go off there. That guy's the bomber. Um, yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, I was thinking this could be, like, a, a good, like, buddy mm. cop thriller. Mm. You know, I, I think Jake Gyllenhaal and Gerard Butler, I've, they've never done anything together, have they, film-wise? I don't know. No, but I, I feel like they would be a good odd couple, you know. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, he... So he has to explain quickly every time the bomb goes off and he get and Gerard Butler goes back into the loop. He has to find Coulter, and obviously the first time he, after the first time he, he knows he knows where he is. It's easy to find him. Mm. He has to expl- make him understand in very quickly in this eight minute period or however long it mm-hmm. is that uh, oh that time loop you just got out of. I'm in another one now, so you mm. need to help me. Yeah. And then and then and they work together to find the actual bomber. I mean that's a good. I mean that's a good good kind of principle. I mean, do you want to carry it through to some kind of conclusion or? Are you happy just with that as a setup? Yeah, I, I, I had, had some more little ideas. Um, I mean, one of them, which I'm obviously not building into this, is that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, after to think of this as a different story, um, okay. is that Jake Gyllenhaal, after suddenly getting his happy ending, realizes he doesn't actually have any identity mm-hmm. because. Oh no! I'll stop you there because that's my sequel. Is it okay? Great. Okay. Well, we'll, I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll get into this then. That, that that's mm-hmm. going to be fun. Yeah, there was that. Was, was there something else I was going to do? Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, basically, they find a way to get, to get Jake Gyllenhaal out. And mm. uh, that's going to be the way that Big Daddy managed to get this technology, is they get Jake Gyllenhaal's consciousness. Maybe that was the key to this. Oh, so he gets extracted from this alternate reality with, mm. that he got into. And now he's back in the original reality? Or yeah. one of the realities? Yeah, that's right. Okay. And Gerard Butler is out as well, yeah. and they're both just okay. I mean, for a while I was going to have it that the army raids the building that they're in, in the original reality, mm-hmm. and they, they shoot at the place. Maybe they shoot Goodwin dead or something. Um, uh-huh. They also shoot up Gerald Butler's uh, body a bit, just in the crossfire, not deliberately. And yeah. so he is now going to die. And his only way that he can survive is by living in this in this reality. Sure. And so, like... At that point, Jake Gyllenhaal says to him, hey man, it can work. Like, I've done it. I'm yeah. here. I'm Maybe. alive. My my body's dead. So if your body's about to die, well, you can just come and live here with me. Yeah, just steal somebody else's body, though. Yeah, But maybe the only viable candidate, the only viable body Gerard Butler can take is Michelle Monaghan. Nice, yeah. Yeah, which is obviously pretty shit for Jake. <laughs> but, you know, what can you do? So then you've got... And this is and, you, and so then you've got Gerard Butler, this giant, you know, hulk of a man, mm. in, in the very petite body of uh, Michelle Monaghan, and that's how he has to live his life from now on. Very good. That's very Jumanji. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I like, like it. That. So, like loosely, that is stealing source code. Stealing source code. Good title as well. Oh, thank you. So, yeah, very good. I like that a lot. That's got a load of potential. Mm-hmm. Okay, so on to mine, and as I kind of touched on, my idea is definitely along similar lines to something you came up mm-hmm. with. Uh, it's also a direct sequel. It picks up immediately after the original. So Coulter Stevens, the Jake Gyllenhaal character, gets off the train mm. with Michelle Monaghan 
and assumes the identity of the teacher whose body he jumped into, yeah. who was a guy called Sean Fentress. Yeah. That's the name they gave him, Sean Fentress. But he finds out, you know, because this was the thing I thought as well. It's like, okay, he's walking off, but he's not in his own old body. He's just adopted this guy's... He's stolen a guy's personality, basically. Mm. Like, where did that guy go? <laughs> if he lived, I, like, where I, don't, did he I go? don't think he's around anymore. <laughs> well, anyway, so... Yeah, so Jake Gyllenhaal and Michelle Monaghan, they get off the train, they're very happy, they walk off arm in arm into the sunset, mm-hmm. uh, but then he gets he actually gets home and realises he has to adopt this whole life of um, Sean Fentress. Mm-hmm. And not only is he in Sean Fentress's body, also he doesn't recognise anybody in Sean Fentress's life, like mm. family, friends, you know, yeah. relatives, you know, colleagues. He doesn't recognise it. He has no memory of this guy's life. He has to pick it up from scratch. Mm-hmm. And like, even Michelle Monaghan doesn't know what's happened. Like, at no point does he, apart from the first time when they both die, at no point in the final reality that we see does he does he make her understand who he is. He just says, hey, what would you do if you only had eight minutes to live? Why don't we kiss? Mm. Like, that's as much as she knows. Yeah. So she still thinks he's just this guy she's been friends with for a yeah. while. So she's as clueless as anyone. <laughs> um, so what he finds out as he tries to, you know, adapt himself to this guy's life and i think you could either play this as like a weird thriller or a comedy or maybe a bit of both okay yeah like you know this guy trying to like figure out the identity of the guy he's living in you know without giving away the game away that he doesn't mm. that he that he's not supposed to be there but yeah like imagine it imagine you just get dropped into someone else's body and you don't know where they live you don't know any of their passwords i was thinking that like they don't know any pin codes or anything like Dredge, yeah my, my plan following that plot line was that Drake Gyllenhaal was very quickly just gonna be homeless like, yes. he had $150 or something that he gave to a comedian. That's it. Mm-hmm. True, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know they don't have contacts in last... America? Like, on car No, I know, it's crazy, yeah. So, like, yeah. you couldn't buy anything at all. Mm-hmm. True. Well, in my reality, he does manage to get home. Uh, or to Sean Fentress's home, the guy mm-hmm. whose body he's now living sure. in. Um, maybe Michelle Monaghan knows where he lives and he just manages to, you know, wing it. But... Yeah, he finds that he's constantly blanking people because he doesn't know who he knows and who he doesn't mm-hmm. know. So that's quite strange behaviour. Also, he has to go back to work. And I think it was mentioned in the film that the character of Sean Fentress was a teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, so, I'm saying that he soon learns that he wasn't just like a bog-standard like, school teacher. Not there's anything wrong with that. Uh, he's a professor of classical literature at the local Oh, right, college. okay. <laughs> yeah. And also, because like, I'm thinking Jake Gyllenhaal in this film, he's an army guy. Mm. I mean, and I'm guessing he probably isn't a big reader. You know, he's not particularly like an intellectual character. So, um, yeah, he, he suddenly has to like try and teach classical literature, mm-hmm. which he is not suited to doing. So, again, you, you could really play this for laughs. You know, the teacher completely out of his depth. Trying yeah, to lips, yeah. Fake it till he makes it. And he can't ask anyone about this stuff because there's literally nobody he can confide in. Because <laughs> doing so have to, would be to say, well, look, the person you think I am, he's dead. I've just like stolen his body mm-hmm. you know that that you know your best friend or your, your son mm-hmm. your daughter your whatever yeah he's dead and i've, I've taken his <laughs> i'm walking around in his corpse essentially so want to help me you know the answer would be no mm-hmm. so yeah you can't ask anyone about this stuff he's just trying to figure it out and i'm thinking there's other things like maybe maybe the, the sean fentress guy was also a big like dungeons and dragons nerd and he has no idea how to play so he has to like play with his friends mm-hmm. and yeah i'm just thinking of like bitch you could do to, yeah like, you know make this work yeah anyway Obviously, it doesn't take long before his behaviour, you know, not recognising people, not doing his job well, not knowing anything that he previously knew, uh, starts to arouse suspicion around, among his friends and family. Mm. 
They're like, well, Sean's acting really weird lately. Mm-hmm. And even Michelle Monaghan, despite being very charmed by his behaviour on the train, starts to look at it on a new light. She's like, well, he was acting quite erratic. You know, he wants, he, he was like, what would you do with eight minutes to live? And he kissed me out of nowhere and we got off the train when we shouldn't have. Yeah. And she's like, oh, actually, maybe, maybe that wasn't just him being charmingly uh, off the cuff. Maybe he was suffering some kind of mental health breakdown that he's continuing to suffer from. Mm-hmm. So they have kind of an intervention, like his closest friends and family stage an intervention. And they're like, Sean, we think you might need to get some help. You know, you're clearly going through some kind of episode right now. So he's kind of cornered and he tries explaining to Michelle Monaghan the truth. So he tries to tell her, you know, oh, actually, Sean Fentress is dead and I was put in his body by a, mili- a strange military experiment mm. and I had to stop a bombing and I did and now I'm just living in his life in a... This is a parallel universe. This isn't the real world. Yeah. So he tells her this whole... He weaves her this whole tale and of course that just makes him seem even more crazy, mm. you know, because it just sounds like the ravings of a lunatic, you know. <laughs> So convinced now that he's experiencing a full kind of psychotic episode, Michelle and his Michelle Monaghan and his family reluctantly have Coulter committed to a mental health facility for you know observation and treatment. So then I'm thinking it could move into like a one flew over the cuckoo's nest kind of scenario, okay. where because he's not crazy, I think he's not crazy. Obviously, he's just in this weird situation. Yeah. But in order to get out of it, he has to pretend that he's taking the treatment because he can't convince anyone. Mm. That he is in. The more he tries to convince people that he is someone else in the in the body, the more crazy he sounds. Mm-hmm. So he quickly realizes, okay, I need to act like like I did have a mental breakdown and just act like I'm responding well to the treatments and try and rebuild my life that mm. way. So it, it could get very like you know he's he's having to pretend to swallow the pills, but he's not actually swallowing. You know, antipsychotic pills yeah, and stuff. Yeah. He's just trying to go along with it and say all the right things in therapy and you know make it seem like he's making good progress and like wait it out. And I'm thinking a few weeks of this go by. And he, manages, he does manage to convince people that he's making good progress. Maybe Michelle Monaghan visits him a few times. It's like, you seem better. It seems like you're your old self again. You know, maybe you, you'll, you can come out soon. Mm. It's all going pretty well. Until one day, a new patient walks into the ward. Oh. And that new patient is Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh. Like his old body. Right, okay. So, and what I'm thinking is... Is it the, the, like full body Jake Gyllenhaal? Well, this is the thing. I'm thinking no, maybe because in the we didn't in the original film. Obviously, he got killed in a helicopter explosion, mm. and he was like half a body, mm. like he'd lost his arms and his legs, or something. So maybe the so what I'm thinking is that perhaps Vera Farmiga's character did take pity on him for you know for what had happened for mm-hmm. and, and she had she had a, a moral crisis. And she convinced them, because this, he's on life support, they, they can, she convinced them to release him. And they kind of rebuilt him a little bit. So he's yeah. like profoundly disabled, but he's, you know, he's in a wheelchair maybe, or I don't know, something. Yeah. But he's alive. And also, crucially, another thing they didn't realise, when they put Jake Gyllenhaal's consciousness into Sean Fentress, into the school teacher, mm-hmm. when they put Jake Coulter, sorry. No, was it was his name Jake Coulter? Uh, Coulter. Coulter Stevens. So what they didn't realize was when they put Coulter Stevens identity consciousness, when they put Coulter Stevens consciousness into Sean Fentress, Sean Fentress's consciousness went into Coulter Stevens. I can see all the cogs whirring in your brain, John. You're I know, I'm really so try- hard to get these words out. It's in the a right very order. convoluted plot. I'm trying to, yeah. <laughs> so basically the school teacher whose body Jake Gyllenhaal is in is now in Jake Gyllenhaal's body. Yeah. Got it. And he's got pissed it. as hell. Yeah, yeah. Because he's in a paraplegic. Oh yeah, it's, yeah. Sorry, I forgot that he's 
gravely injured. I was like, why would he be pissed at being in Drake Gyllenhaal's body? Damn. <laughs> All right. But, yes. uh, well, well, yes, but no, he, he's like profoundly disabled. Uh, also, he wants his body and his life back. And he has also, you know, he's been re- he's somehow managed to either escape from the facility or been released, whatever. Mm. But he also seems like a crazy person because he's in this other body and he, he also doesn't know anything about his life, you mm-hmm. know, about Colter Stevens' life. So, yeah, they end up in the same mental facility. And as soon as they see each other, obviously, it's like, you. <laughs> and that's where I kind of ran out. So I, I, I was hoping we could brainstorm. I mean, you could just leave it on a cliffhanger. Maybe set up for a trilogy. You could, but... Uh, I don't know. I think they need to go back to Goodwin. Oh, is that the plan? So the two of them escape the Yeah, I think, I think the, the, the two of them are just like... Okay, look, I, this isn't ideal for anybody. Mm-hmm. Like, Clearly, yes. Yeah, like one of us is stuck in a mental home, the other one is like physically very disabled. Yeah. It, it could be better in some way. I don't know. It's not going to be perfect because somebody's got to be very disabled. Okay, um, you're right. But, uh, you know, let's go back to Goodwin, see what she's got to say about this. Okay, yes, so they have to break out of the mental health facility, mm. find Goodwin, track her down, mm-hmm. and convince her to try and fix them. And like They're like, you, you caused this, you need to fix it. Yeah. And maybe what she does is she's like, well, I can't fix your body, and I can't put you back into his body. We don't know how that works. But what I can do is put you into a new eight-minute loop, so we start it all again, stop the bomber, and you can both live out. I've got it better, John. I've got it better. Okay. The only way that we can get you out of the bodies that you're in is to put you into somebody else's consciousness but we can only have somebody else's consciousness if we have a dead body right so i need you two to go and get me a dead body oh okay so it goes it takes a dark turn yeah and they have to find someone to kill yeah i like it okay basically so to find somebody to kill uh I don't know what sort of person they choose, but either way, they then have a bit of a nightmare when they realise, once they've killed that person and they, they take that person to Goodwin, they all got plugged in and everything, then they realise they've got to relive the last eight minutes of this guy's life that leads up to him being killed by those two people. Ah. But the, So they've got to watch from, like, the, the they've got to watch firsthand as they kill themselves if that makes sense right now your cogs are wearing you <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah okay so it takes a very dark turn i like it yeah like a very accidentally surprising dark turn mm-hmm. but ultimately it works they each wake up in the correct body but you know with some significant mental scarring there was it worth it who Definitely. knows and then and they never quite know what's real and what isn't they can't be sure exactly slow fade to black like it, like it. Okay, well, very good. That well, I mean, that was mine. Sorry, you you kind of very good, very good work at taking it into the finish line there. Uh, that was Source Code Two Hard Reboot. Excellent. I like it. Hard Reboot. Do you want to see what listeners have got have come up with? Sure. Yeah. Okay, I've got a fair few here. So, okay. Kobe Morris says Source Toad. Stevens is placed into the body of a large amphibian and must work out who's planning to drain the local pond. Okay. Matthew Dixon says source code 2 I swear I've done this before again <laughs> that could be for any of our Groundhog Day kind of movies pretty much sure. yeah <laughs> uh, Mike Smart's asking for the crossover with um, Quantum Leap mm-hmm. yeah that, that, I had a few of those as well James McLean says source code 
Coulter transfers his mind into various ketchups and condiments to find out which one is poisoned. Turns oh. out it was Colonel Mustard. Oh god! Someone so else just throws all of them out. Such a sure it's wasting food, but better safe than saucy. See, that was a good pun that he he, he tries to spin it out to more than it needed. <laughs> just I'd have just stopped at the ketchup to be honest, but sure. Colonel Mustard was where I would have stopped. Okay, sure, yeah. Uh, Keith, oh, you'll like this, John. It's not a sequel. Keith Murphy says, I went to a screening of this where the writer held a Q&A afterwards and somebody asked him, what happened to the teacher now that Stevens took over his body and went on living? The writer literally sat there with his mouth open and was like, oh, wow, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. <laughs> it's great to know that a lot of effort went into this film. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be the best Q&A experience ever to just fully stump the writer with a very obvious question. Yeah, yeah. Cool, okay. Is that a thing? Yeah, feel free to enter that into whatever order you feel is most entertaining. I will. Uh, I have some as well. Neil Holmes said, the next logical step is compiler error. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that. There's yeah. a lot of nerd humour in these. Jed Jong said, Tenet. Could be. Okay, sure. Seen... Well, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. It's very possible, yeah. I'd love it if, like, if after all this like hype, Tenet was just like a complete rip-off of this film that came out nine years ago that no one really <laughs> remembers anymore. <laughs> That'd be ridiculous. Joy Marie said, Source Code 2, the source of the code. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew Liefering said, Source Code 2, a bunch of Sam Rockwells. That's what you all liked about Moon, right? So, <laughs> Sam, Sam Rockwell was in Moon, apparently. So Yeah. I mean, there's not many films that wouldn't be improved by putting Sam Rockwell in it, so mm. why not? Yeah. Rob Farnham said, Source Code 2, learn to code. Mm-hmm. Jason Ritterstein said, Source Code 2, well, I guess I'm a teacher now. But that certainly beats being a grievously wounded helicopter pilot. So, <laughs> yeah. Kind of close to what I did. Dan Labreck said, Source Code 2, back to basic. The basic is in caps. Mm-hmm. The new intern installs mm. a couple of com- video games on the computer where Jake Gyllenhaal is hosted, and Jake finds himself slipping into different realities influenced by some of the biggest intellectual properties in- there are in the biz. Will he be able to fight his way through the rough streets of Grand Theft Auto, and gallop his horse over the beautiful vistas of Red Dead Redemption <laughs> 2, and Sudoku through the most com- complex of Sudokus in order to find his way home? Okay. Yeah. And finally... Our friend, Martin Gardner, at MG Loves Fun, said, Source code, Jake Gyllenhaal is endlessly resurrected in order to steal the recipe of a popular condiment. <laughs> nice. So there we go. That is, uh, that's source code. So mm-hmm. thank you everybody for those sequel ideas. We ask for your list of submissions every week, a few days before we record, by putting posts out on Facebook and Twitter, where you can post your ideas. So make sure you like and follow our pages if you don't want to miss out. To listen to more episodes of Beyond the Box Set, you can subscribe and browse our back catalogue on any podcasting platform, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and many others, all of which you can also leave a five-star review if you like. It really does help us to attract new listeners. As mentioned before, we're also available on Patreon, which is exclusively for the people who would raise us more than five stars if they could. All those details are in the description below or at beyondtheboxset.com. And next week, Harry, is it you? Are you picking this one? It's me next week, yes. Now I've got I've got quite an interesting film here, John. Okay. And I hope that it won't be a film that we need to veto. Okay. I have seen it before. Okay. But what's uh, what's your concern about the potential to veto it? Okay. Well, let me just read you a little description here. So, just in case, it's called "See You Yesterday." See you yesterday. Okay. Have you seen it? Have you heard of I it? I have not. No. Okay. I, have, I think, don't think so. 
Well, the description is, as two teen prodigies try to master the art of time travel, a tragic police shooting sends them on a series of dangerous trips to the past. Okay. Now, the reason I say that this this might be a thing that's worth vetoing is I I don't think it gets like particularly sad and depressing. Okay. But the crux of the story is about a black man getting shot by the police. Oh gosh. Okay. But it but the but the ma- the main part of the story is these two teenagers have invented a time machine and then oh, by the way, her big brother gets shot by the police, and so she's trying to stop that happen again and again and again. Okay. Well, it sounds timely. Uh, let's <clears throat> let's watch it, and then we'll see if we can if we think we can do it respectfully in you know the current climate. We don't yeah, want to, you know... I'm, not, I'm I'm genuinely not trying to pick a thematic film just sure. because of what's going on in the world right now. This mm. just came up because it comes up in this season. Okay. No. Sure. We'll give it yeah. a go. Yeah. So join us next week for see you yesterday. Interesting, yeah. Can't wait. Cool. Well, thanks a lot. See you next week. Bye. Bye. This makes no sense.